Welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. We're giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan with my co-host, as always, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Hey, man. How's it going? You hear those new Drake songs from four hours ago? <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're recording just a tiny bit early this week. We wanted to talk about these Drake songs as soon as we can. But before we, we jump right into that and a bunch of other music, some TV and movies today, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and find all the ways to follow the podcast there. And of course, a five-star rating and review on iTunes is much appreciated. Before we jump into the Drake songs, Dave, sometimes you use this platform to talk about the NBA. Huh. Give me some quick thoughts about this this finals. When neutered Warriors team loses, tough to uh, be too surprised when you have a Raptors team that has five guys that can do do stuff on the floor at all times. So I actually really like this final just because it's a nice change of pace to see the bad guys lose. And <laughs> even if that requires two of their three best players, four best players to get injured, we'll take it because they've been <laughs> winning with asterisks too. Let's not forget that the only Curry rings are with Kevin Durant as a teammate or when LeBron had to play without Kyrie and Kevin Love. So goes around, comes around, I suppose, as Kuzma said on Twitter and got a lot of shit for. <laughs> so what do you think this says about Kawhi? He's a beast. I mean, yeah. We knew that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy that he took a year off and then came back and, and did this. Where do you think he goes now? Clippers. I still think yeah. he goes to Clippers, but... Yeah, given that he's a he'll be he's an eight year vet now. There is financial incentive to get up to ten year vet, which is what Durant is just hitting, and thus get the full thirty five percent max. So if he did a short term deal in Toronto, I wouldn't be surprised. Now you have one more year of Gasol, Lowry, and Ibaka and Van Vliet, so you can kind of just run it back and then look at that cap space and stay in Toronto if you want, or leave after that when you now can get as paid the full maximum potential we currently have for NBA players. So. That wouldn't surprise me either. Pascal is cheap for two more years, so it's a tough situation to run from. But I would not be shocked if he went west where he owns homes already. Yeah. What is he, top five NBA right now? Oh, it has to be, right? Top three, maybe? Top three? Depends. I mean, it's such a deep top tier. Well, especially with KD out for the next season for sure, yeah. that, that top three might be shifting. Giannis is in there. Harden, Kawhi? Yeah, sure. Oh. It's, you can talk to anyone. Curry, LeBron. Harden. Curry's not Durant. top three. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the that's the top group in some order. Yeah, and LeBron in there still. Dog. I mean, he's he's top three winemakers in the NBA <laughs> at this point. He like casually got like twenty seven, six and six last year, playing with a bunch of kids and bum vets. So I'm actually very curious to see how LeBron plays after his first summer layoff in ten years. This could be like PEDs for him, just extra rest. Well, he'll have Anthony Davis, so it, it, you won't won't really be able to to do it to judge him without. Uh, it's good to be old, like you have been. Yes. Anyways, going back to what this podcast is really about, <laughs> the culture. The reason Drake dropped these songs, the best in the world pack, was because his Toronto Raptors won the NBA Finals, and people were expecting maybe an album drop. You know, there was a lot of people on Twitter posting some very funny gifts and memes talking about Drake getting the OVO writers into the, mm-hmm. into the booth. And yeah, <laughs> but we did get two songs. These seem like songs that were already finished and he was just kind of holding on to mm-hmm. in some respect and good excuse to drop them. Omerta and Money in the, in the Grave. What do you think of these songs? As you said, these are definitely just in the can already. Notice that mm-hmm. the only basketball reference on either of these songs is to LeBron buying yep. lots of property in Brentwood. No reference to Kawhi or Red Van Vliet, yeah. which would be much more timely references to the guys actually on his team, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just just funny. But what do you expect? Yeah, yeah. this reminds me a lot of about a year and a few months ago last year when he dropped the Scary Hours EP, which was God's Plan, Diplomatic Community. Obviously, God's Plan, mm-hmm. big single that he then put on Scorpion. But I don't think either of these songs probably make it onto a project. I mean, we, we kind of expect him to release something this year just because he's released something every year since, what, the past five years, I think. So well, he'll release some kind of project. And we know he, we talked about with Scorpion. He's not really been curating his projects too, too much, really, given their overall length and just repetitiveness in, set, in, in spots. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last we really see these songs. I don't expect any of these to be the next God's plan or anything like that. But I think they're, they're, they're fun songs, and that's kind of just what Drake represents, is he can just make really solid tracks that 
don't sound special in the Drake canon, but are still you know pretty solid rap songs at the end of the day. So I, I like both of them. What about you? Yeah, I like Money in the Grave a lot more than Omerta. Omerta, I think, is still really good. It's Drake just being super braggadocious. You know, he calls out Pusha on it. That, that's amazing, by the way. <laughs> what was the line again? Last year, haters really feel like they rode on me. Last year, haters got hot because they told on me. Shout out, Pusha T. Love it. <laughs> actually, funny, I was watching, I forgot what the, actually the name of the show, but it's the David Letterman talk show on Netflix. My next guest needs no introduction. Yeah. <laughs> and Kanye was on mm-hmm. it, which is actually a pretty interesting interview. You should, I recommend watching it if you if you'd like Kanye at all and find him to be an entertaining public figure but he brought up drake but in the most roundabout way he's like ah well you know there's this there's this guy i can't talk about <laughs> david letterman is like why and he's like ah we might have had a little beef last year so pretty interesting that you know kanye's camp is taking that route of you know can't talk about it but drake's out here calling out pusha and pretty interesting anyways money in the grave though rick, rick ross uh-huh. when he slides into that track man it's like fucking butter, like just melting butter. It's like so perfect. And Rick Ross continues to be on the heater of like guest verses, dude. Mm-hmm. Just every time he drops it, he kills it. Three big ones in the last year or so. Hard Piano, Birds, and now this one. You mentioned this when we talked about Denzel's album, of course, because that was really cool Miami on Miami feature. But yeah, I mean, like J. Cole's getting all the attention for lots of great features, and he's put out more than Ross, so it makes sense. But yeah, man, cool to see late period Rosé still still not just relevant but contributing in a positive way it's awesome rose any last thoughts on these drake songs before we move on to some album no i I don't think either of these is a big hit but they'll get lots of streams just because they're the new drake stuff out and you know he'll probably let these let these simmer for a while and then we'll hear word on the actual next project and if you have spotify and want to stream these drake songs you should go to our nostalgia best of 2019 and listen to money in the grave which was just added on there this morning another person who we're, we're gonna have some songs added is Goldlink, dropping this is what his sophomore major label album yeah so 2017 two years ago he dropped at what cost and i had mm-hmm. viewed that as his debut album but i was actually reading gold in an interview that due to label agreements that was considered a commercial mixtape and this new project diaspora is technically his debut album per label stuff so honestly confusing but it sounds like a legitimate reason and we usually don't get any any kind of explanation these days so i'll take mm-hmm. it <laughs> so our guy gold link here dropping his uh, debut album which pretty impressive to be a debut album when you've had some really solid work. You mentioned At What Cost, which I think was garnered quite a bit of attention back in mm-hmm. 2017 for being yeah, fairly experimental, you know, infusing a lot of different sounds. Goldlink, uh, I think, represented himself well as a rapper on that album. But Diaspora, I mean, I, I think you and I have been texting about it. We've been pretty blown away by this album. Give me, give me your, your just general thoughts about this album, what you think stands out or makes it special. Yeah, people kind of been on Goldlink for a while now. XXL Freshman several years ago, at what cost, got a Grammy nom for Crew, which was an amazing track. I had that in my top 10 songs 2017 and really showed that he has a unique sound and also is a strong presence within the rising DMV rap scene. And then have Diaspora come out and it's like, all right, we have that DMV flow still present, yet now he's incorporating all these other worldly influences, a lot of Afrobeat and dance production. And he's had house production in the past, even going back to his 2015 second mixtape. But to hear it come out of this, this album just feels so international while still very much being a rap album. It's just really awesome. And definitely one of my favorite albums of the year thus far. I've listened to it several times already. So yeah, I was a big fan. What about you? What did you think stood out? I mean, you hit on a lot of the things. I think the just the broadness of the sound is what impressed me the most. And if you go back and listen to At What Cost, I feel like that album is almost like cut up into sections. Like there's the Catronata section. And then it, he like kind of goes like, I would say more international at parts where he's like, you know, he's sampling the was it like the speedy hairs or something like that i forgot the name of that sure. that band was on her side her side story but it's almost like he like zooms in on his influences and zooms out pretty quickly on that album but i feel like on diaspora what he does really well is he infuses the different influences he has whether it's dmd or afro b or dance hall and he 
sprinkles it in throughout in a really, really masterful way that I think makes the album feel a little bit more cohesive than at what cost. And it just kind of keeps it flowing. Like, I feel like I went from the, the second or third song of this album to almost like the last song without even really like thinking about like, oh, well, what track are we on? Like, I was like, oh, this thing just flows really well together. You know, the the middle, I, I guess I would say is like the feature part of the section of the yeah. album because, you know, you got Pusher, uh, you got Tyler, Jay Prince, all kind of coming in and doing their own thing. But then it, it kind of zooms back out to be him kind of finishing it up by himself on like Tiff Freestyle and Swoosh. Just a really, really well-made album. And I know you, you tweeted about like his influence his or his infusion of Afrobeat and dancehall in here. What what tracks do you, do you feel like really did that well? I think Zulu Screams, which was the, I want to say the lead single, which got a lot of love when it came out. But you listen to a song like that, you listen to a song like More or yard or of course no lie whiz kid yep you just hear the the broader african influence that's got much more accessible here in the west recently i think that's really cool because this feels like it's done in a genuine way and also didn't feel it doesn't feel like it came out of nowhere it doesn't sound like gold link is jumping on any trends or anything or just you know riding anything hot it really does feel genuine because we've heard bits of it in the past and I think this this kind of style and incorporating it while still making it rap music stands out a lot. Like, cause like the dancehall influence we've talked about before with with Drake and other people, and like that comes, but usually that doesn't really translate into actual hip hop. You know, it's more just like reggae inspired music. It's not really rap. But I feel like Gold Link is really finding a way to like walk both lines at the same time which I think just makes good music. It sounds really good. And as you mentioned with the, with the, the features, I feel like You Say with Tyler and Jay Prince, that really tactful, tactfully done song. I think the Push It feature, I like the Push It feature, but it doesn't. It almost doesn't fit with a lot of the other vibe just because, as the song would suggest, it's just about Push It doing his Coke, Coke bars, which are great. We like yeah. the Coke bars, but uh, <laughs> it, it almost feels like a, a weird a weird like interlude of sorts just because it doesn't really... <laughs> relate to much of the other album but it's fine most of the tracks i think really move and like you can really just kind of bounce to these like i thought the khalid feature actually was pretty solid it's a bit of an understated mm-hmm. feature given what we've heard from him recently but like joke ting maniac into the khalid song and zulu screams yeah. that like those four songs after the very brief opening track really starts mm-hmm. off really great and then also having you say go into yard spanish song one of the most internationally of, of all these tracks as well as the WizKid track like it's just two really good sequences in the beginning and end. So love the album. Yeah, it's it's a really strong album. Joke Tang, Banish Song are, are two of the songs that stood out most to me. Uh, you already mentioned You Say with Tyler quite, and Jay Prince quite a bit, but that, that song's absolutely fire. It's weird because Gold Link, I feel like, you know, at what cost was well regarded, but I feel like he doesn't, unlike other rappers, I don't, I don't see him like jumping onto tracks a lot i don't see him doing guest features a lot he seems a bit more like a i don't know like a creative in a sense like he's more focused on like what he's he's making rather than just kind of like playing the game and being part of that that um like constant grind so to speak any do you have any idea or any thought like where he might go next because it seems like he's trying to infuse more and more into his sound yeah i was just thinking i think the only time i really Reference any of his music before was he was on the Catronada album, he was on Denzel's mm-hmm. Taboo last year. Stuff we talked about, stuff we listened to, but other than that, like most of his features are like kind of out of the hip hop space. Like he was on the Diplo EP recently, he's on almost like kind of weird crossover songs because he's proven himself as a guy who can be on bouncy electronic, non traditional yeah. rap production, right? And I kind of feel like that's the easy path for him to grow because mm-hmm. he's already proven himself as a successful competent rapper good rapper i think what what's interesting and i'm actually curious if this continues is as this album cover suggests you hear throughout the album justine sky his famous girlfriend r&b singer is definitely like his muse on this album she has kind of like a lot of background vocals at the end of a few of these tracks throughout and they've collaborated before if i remember right but i wonder if he just continues to kind of do what she does and just maybe really mold into a more quieter sound i don't know he, he can go in a lot of directions so very exciting give me the the gold link k Trinata full album there that's all go. i want uh, i would be very pleased with that jumping to another album another 
rapper, Octavian Endorphins. You, you texted me saying you're really excited to talk about this album. I feel like you have a lot of thoughts. I'll let you <laughs> take the ball and, and kind of lead the way here. We've name-dropped Octavian a few times recently with our Skepta review. Check that out. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. UK, rapper, singer, all that. Londoner. We've heard that before. We know what to expect with that. At least we, that's what you assume that. Just talking about Skepta. Of course, he's kind of the, the landmark textbook modern grime rapper. thing with Octavian, though, and this was pretty prevalent as soon as he got famous within the last like year and a half or so, is that he's more than a grime rapper. He's almost like post-grime. And it's really interesting. I, I just His sound to me is just really exciting because he has so many clear influences from all over the place, which is quite unique for most modern UK people in the hip-hop space. And I think the, the Drake comps that came up early after Drake gave him a cosign, shouting out his single for his debut single party here. Those make a lot of sense. You hear that on this mixtape as well. He is someone who does not mind crooning and making more R&B inspired hip hop. Very Drake-like. But he also still feels very UK, very London, in terms of there is still presence of grime at parts on this, but there's also other UK sounds. Like He also has a bit of like UK drill, just like stereotypical UK trap, kind of like more of a, mm-hmm. a gigs, which, I mean, you kind of hear that. I mean, I like Octavian a lot. I don't know if I need to hear him making songs with Smoke Perp personally, um, but it does make sense that he would he would dip into that, I suppose. Songs like Bet, songs like Lit with Ferg, these are just clear melding of the different types of UK rap we have. And... I really like Spaceman, his debut mixtape from last fall. I don't think we ended up reviewing it, but I really liked that because, again, it was just truly like a more of a proof of concept of Octavian has all these different influences, and he's already acting on almost all of them in pretty exciting ways. Now, I don't think Endorphins is as strong a tape as Spaceman, for sure, but I'm happy to hear it so soon after Spaceman, and mm-hmm. I still think there's a lot to take away from this. Songs like... Like, in the beginning, like, Molly Go Down rhymed me a lot of Drake, but again, still felt UK to me. And even having more of an inspired feature, like Theophilius London on Feel It, uh, he just he just feels like a, a Western UK artist who's still UK, and it, it, it's just cool to me. So I'm like, World, we just talked about international uh-huh. sounds with Gold Link, remind me a lot of the same on that. But overall, I think it's it's a tape that... Definitely has its flaws, definitely has some repetitive moments, despite not being super long. But yeah. again, it's just more confirmation of the talent Octavian has. I'm just looking forward to hearing the next project that I assume will be better. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I definitely agree that he has a lot of Western influence in his songs. One of one of the notes I had was at the, the end of Walking Alone, the way he's using autotune. Mm-hmm. It's, it reminded me a lot of like 808's Kanye in sure. a sense, or even a little bit of like my, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy Kanye in, in a sense. And it, I I agree. I, I also thought Molly Go Down sounded a lot like a Drake song. <laughs> um, and it, I, I think it's great that he's infusing these these uh, artists who are obviously influential on him in some sense but i i agree with your assessment that this became kind of repetitive at points i felt kind of bored during some songs because of that repetitiveness i think he's kind of trying to hone into like what is it that his style really is because when you have so many influences infused you know we just talked about gold link i, I wouldn't say that he is like genreless but he infuses so many sounds around a central concept and octavian in a way almost feels like he's not grime but he's not quite western and he's still trying to find like what is the exact lane i'm in and that i can then like pull these influences in to like make a more cohesive sound off of so i give him a lot of credit i think i think he's pretty ambitious from the different sounds that are on here i just think he's probably trying to find a little bit more of like what does it mean to be Octavian? This is like my, my mm-hmm. ther- therapeutic side come out. <laughs> what does it mean to be you, Dave? You mentioned a couple of songs that stood out to you. Bet was probably the one I liked the most. I felt like Skepta and Michael Phantom and, yeah. and Octavian all interplay so well <laughs> on that. It's it's they, they should be a group. They were fucking awesome. Get down on your knees. <laughs> Anytime Skepta says anything, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he's He's got a great just like deep like London accent that just yeah. sounds so great. Any other songs that... that 
you like or that stood out? I think I'm probably going to throw a bat on the playlist. I think I think that's most of them. Reading more about his story, there's a, a good Pitchfork piece when Spaceman came out last year. And shout out Virgil Abloh from Off-White. He did both these album covers or mixtape covers. So mm-hmm. nice look for him. But Octavian, he signed to uh, Black Butter, which is a Sony imprint. And he was basically homeless until he signed and they got him a like a flat to live in. So Octavian hasn't really been a like truly like professional in the system artist for that long at all. And I think Party Here only came out in 2017 and it was a song he just kind of made with his his crew the Ezzy gang when they were just trying to make make songs and all kind of just grind and struggle and so he still I think is getting that foundation down or getting comfortable with that foundation which you can see like getting a smoke perp feature takes a little more right. professionalism than just being kind of a no-name guy who has a viral hit. So, and it's the same thing for Ferg feature. So, again, just I'm really just excited to hear more from him because he, I think he just turned 23, and again, just really doing this in earnest for two years or so. It's just exciting to see the future. Absolutely. Someone else I think we're both excited for um, in his return is Jai Paul. He just released two new tracks last week, but he also released, he titled it Leak 0413 Bait Ones, which was a working title for an album he was working on before, like the title of the album might suggest. Uh, His tracks were leaked and then circulated pretty broadly. And this led to a lot of different issues for him. You know, he's a a UK guy, um, Indian descent, and... He talks in a couple of interviews about how this led to a lot of different mental health issues for himself, that he kind of moved away from music during this time because he just felt like something had been taken from him, which it absolutely had, you know, that that these tracks he was working so hard on were uh, then you know, like out of his control were being circulated mm-hmm. and spread around before they were even finished. Band camp. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy like that. Uh, we're gonna uh, i guess i'll spoil my review i really liked this album and a lot of the tracks on this i found incredibly interesting and and awesome to listen to um but i can't even imagine that feeling of like working so hard for something like this and like crafting this and trying to make this thing that feels so i don't know personal and trying to perfect it and then just having it thrown out there without like taking out your control must have been awful yeah and i think when he put this out legitimately on streaming got I think a few samples are removed from the old leaks just to clear it for everything. But when he put this out and he left, you know, his, his really first public comment and in years and, you know, I, I didn't even think of this, but he put, put this out on the same sequencing that the leak was in. So he didn't even get to decide hmm. the sequence. The sequence is already determined because yeah. this is, this is the sequence everyone was used to that had heard his music when it leaked. Mm-hmm. And it's really an interesting story about like, the relationship between, an, an artist and their art and I guess the media's in, uh, relationship to a lesser extent as well. I mean, when that leaked in 2013, it made Pitchfork and Guardian's top album lists of the year. It wasn't an official release or even sanctioned by the artist, yet lots of people, places still covered it. So, very interesting story and, you know, if you dig back, I mean, I, I won't lie, I was not up on J-Paul uh, at the time, but like he's he's like a a mix a, a MySpace discovery, you know, product of the blog era, truly, and mm-hmm. being a uh, just this experimental pop. You know, we'll get we'll get into actual music, but just f- fascinating story. And hearing now that he's working, he's been working with his brother, and they have been uh, signing some unknown artists and putting out music, and definitely coming out to a slow trickle at the uh, Paul Institute. I think they're calling it, but uh, definitely someone you hope you'll hear more of. Because I mean, I think he he's just thirty years old now, and quite the quite the enigma, and yeah, still also a hype creator for a guy who most people only ever heard demo quality music from him. So I guess yeah. it's it's it, you can take it either way. Is is he overrated because of the lack of output? Is he like a J Electronica, or is he actually truly hmm. this you know landmark figure that makes or made at least at one point? like truly important music you know it's fascinating stuff and i also really liked the project as well yeah i think that's a really interesting question and maybe it will that's something we can come back to if we when we talk about the the two new tracks he released i do want to just touch on a couple of the tracks from 
this album because I think there are going to be a lot of people who are finding this that just like us weren't on it in 2013 and may not have been aware of what was going on. Any anything that really stands out to you in terms of the tracks here or that you really really like? Right. So I think I mean, the, some of the negatives with the tape is just that, as most of these songs have as an addendum now, most of the track names that they say unfinished, and a lot of these songs mm-hmm. truly just sound like demos. They're they're half an idea. They're not fully completed yep. songs. They're short run times. All that and. Even if you appreciate the ambition some of those songs are bringing at the end of the day, they are not complete ideas and usually not mixed that well. I think Excel Recordings, his label he's been on this whole time, said that they actually had an engineer comb through all his files to find the highest quality masters that matched the leaks. So they didn't actually try and change anything really. They just tried to find the best versions they already had. They didn't remix anything. So at the end of the day, some of these songs just aren't only going to sound so good. So I don't even really pay attention to them because again, we're reviewing a demo project mm-hmm. that just got legitimized. Um, but the songs that did stand out to me, um, some of them are still technically unfinished, really stand out. Like, obviously, people know uh, BTSU, which was his debut yeah. single. I think that song came out uh, beginning of the decade before the leaks happened and stuff. That song got a lot of attention. I think Zane Lowe really evangelized for it at the time. Uh, Jasmine, his second single. And again, people mm-hmm. know that the song is Jasmine demo, you know? Yeah. Um, another one. <laughs> But I really liked um, Zion Wolf theme, Genevieve, yep. Crush, which of course is, is a cover of sorts. Uh, yeah, hundred thousand. Like, I like a mm-hmm. lot of these tracks. But I know you're a big fan of track two, right? Yeah, Straight Out of Mumbai, which uh, is one of the only songs on here that doesn't have unfinished or demo or instrumental on it. So this this feels like an idea that he actually really uh, was able to kind of hone in and perfect before it was leaked in a way and i I think this song is just absolutely infectious and the way that it blends in um you know obviously indian music influence um with a little bit more like poppy techno sound um there's this part near the end where it brings in a uh, an indian singer vocal sample and i think it is just like it pushes it to another level in terms of how good the song is because it's really good until you hit that point and then you're like wow this is seriously like pulling in influence that you don't hear in most popular music in the united states and even in uh you know the uk so i i thought that was just brilliant um <laughs> probably my second favorite track on this which is really funny to say because it's literally only 30 seconds and i think the beat is only in for like maybe 15 is raw beat uh, or Rob, yeah, Robbie. Sorry, I was reading that wrong. Um, that <laughs> just the vocal or the the spoken word at the beginning, and then the way that the beat drops in. I want him to finish that song so badly. Um, I don't want want the the disclosure remix of it, which I know we'll probably get at some point. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I I really think that song's great. Um, you mentioned a hundred thousand, which was fantastic. Chicks also, I thought was great. There's there's a lot of potential here and you know i mentioned he dropped these other two songs do you love her now and he um on june 1st and i think those songs are are both very good and i think they're he still is displaying that potential he uses audio levels and kind of cutting in and out of sounds you know to create this like almost trancey like floating through air type feeling on a lot of his tracks and I think it's too early to judge who he is as an artist because obviously he's been stepped away for a while and hasn't been releasing things. But I think if Bait Ones and these two new songs are an indication, I think he's going to be an incredibly influential producer, recorder in the next, I don't know, decade probably. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't actually know of BTSU when it was blowing up, but I had heard uh dreams money can buy the drake freestyle over btsu mm. yep. and just was totally unaware of the sample in 2011 yeah. <laughs> kind of embarrassing in retrospect um <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, you know it seems like his brother is rich the much paul, more right? public uh yeah rich paul he also yeah. represents some basketball players he uh <laughs> he seems like the much more public uh, much more public facing figure of, of the two but he we also know of him working with more people. Like I, it's funny. Like, you know, I think it was a, two years ago. Jay Paul, his brother, were photographed with Miguel in the studio for Miguel's uh, 2017 album, 
and I think uh, uh, Jay Paul's brother was the one who was really doing most of the work. But again, that's like because there's the cult of personality around him. It's like, oh look, there he is. Are we gonna get new music? You know? Yeah. And now we have like I think last year, like the the Paul Institute, like there's photos of them with hard hats on because they bought this you know property for their their incubator of sorts and it's just it's just really fascinating the 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 combination of the wildly experimental influential ambient dance pop music it's very hard to genre classify i guess but combine that with the influence of him and his brother ak it's uh it's fascinating stuff and you know the new songs that he released like an official double single uh do you love her now and he uh, I didn't like those quite as much as some of the truly wild shit mm-hmm. off the demo tape, but I'll take anything at this point. <laughs> yeah, I I would suspect there's probably an album coming at some point, so uh, I'm going to have my eyes out for that, my ears out for that. Mm-hmm. Jai Paul will have a couple, uh, at least one of his tracks on our Best of Playlist, so again, Nostalgia Best of 2019 on Spotify, follow that. Let's talk some TV real quick. Easy Season 3. Dropped on Netflix a couple weeks ago. Joe Swanberg's show about relationships and how they don't seem so easy, Dave. I think that's that's the uh, ironic hello. title. It was kind of nice to be back. I think that that's my I think that that's my overall sense of this is that easy when it first came out. We talked about the first season. You can check that out on YouTube. We were interested because it was telling these stories about relationships, whether they were long term relationships, you know. Uh, first dates quick hookups open relationships yeah open relationships and it was kind of putting us in situations where we were seeing all these different people and kind of how love and different parts of their life were impacting them and the way that they interacted and i think we like that because you weren't following just one person there was many different people i mean orlando bloom was in the first season which is still kind of wild that like orlando bloom was in that it's fucking (laughs) season three comes back and i feel like the show is condensed a little bit they kind of have like their what four or five people they're following in a sense or i guess couples that they're following but it almost is like comfortable it's like okay i know these people like i I do want to see what's going on with them they did have i think what one one one-off episode about the uh the guy selling the toys in chicago that kept getting busted by the police spends Uh, all his money number one yes but overall, it's kind of still following what Andy and Kyle, um, Mark Marin's character Jacob. Uh, I don't really remember all the other names, honestly. But uh, Kiersey Clemens' character and her girlfriend, non-girlfriend, and then the Dave Franco, Ikash, Sazi, yeah, crew. I know that 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 fourth guy in that group always gets the shaft because he's with those three like rising stars. But um, yeah. how, how did you feel about season three? Yeah, uh, this one felt. This is the first again three 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 seasons. The third, the final season at that. This is the first season that felt the most like a sequel. As you said, they condensed it, and I feel like this is the one where you kind of needed to have watched the previous iterations of these characters' stories to truly get all that payoff. Um, so not a problem for me, of course, or you, but. I don't know if that's how this show was originally kind of kind of sold, you know. But I really liked how Kyle and Andy's story wrapped. Um, I think that was one of just the most genuine, uh, realistic ones they've done, and that was a longer episode as well. But you know that conversation at the bar at the end felt really earned, mm-hmm. and like the show always kind of shies away from taking the stories in, in like really pulpy directions. Mm-hmm. So there's no blow up and like true like big fight or you know scene in at the bar. That's not where the show is ever gonna go. And I feel like it just feels more more real that way. Or having like Kiersey Clemens and uh, I forget who her girlfriend's name, but when like they break up and do all this thing, they're seeing other people, and then like they just kind of sit on the couch together at the end. You know, it just the show's portrayal of adult contemporary relationships in Chicago and the suburbs of it like it just feels really genuine because it's always very small scale and understated i think that's what's really appealing about the show or has been appealing about the show is that just there's no like hook or gotcha moments or anything like that it's just kind of these stories 
mainly just a lot of dialogue and you could usually just connect with these characters because by and large they're they're well written or well drawn and again like a lot of these relationships you know whether it's non-traditional stuff lgbt relationships all that and that stuff you see all the time so seeing it done in just a you know matter of fact way is pretty pretty nice once in a while so that's kind of my 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 thoughts on the show overall is like like the first two seasons didn't crack my top 10 either time i don't think they cracked yours either but it's just kind of a solid show and again like being on netflix joe swanberg not a big name so i have a feeling the show has largely just gotten lost to the the ether that is the content minds but i feel like people that do like it just kind of appreciate it just for being what it is you know and not trying to be anything else which you know it's a tough to tough to hate on it's it's funny at times i felt like I was watching this season through my my fingers uh, because it was yes. really uncomfortable. Some of the conversations and like being a fly on the wall for these things is like, I don't know if I want to be a fly on the wall for these things. But I, I do think to kind of uh, piggyback off one of your points, I do think they portray these these relational situations uh, in such a realistic way um and they they really don't pull any punches it's very uh i I, at least i think it's very realistic like even uh the second to last episode with jake johnson and uh his girlfriend who is in town for a night and you know you're thinking oh they're gonna have the like this hookup and they're gonna get back together and they actually end up talking they're like yeah what are we doing and even though I think they both wish it could work out, like they kind of get to that point where they're like, yeah, there's a reason this didn't work the first time. And I think seeing that kind of portrayal, though realism isn't always entertaining, I think they do it in a way where you're invested in these characters, you like almost all of them. There's really no like villains in this show, so to speak, which I think is really nice. It's just like a bunch of like gray area in terms of like, Oh, this person did a crappy thing, or this person did not such a great thing. So, um, th- this did, you know, you you said the way Andy and Kyle story wrapped up. This did, in a way, feel like they kind of put a bow on some things um, for this season. I, I'm almost curious if they're expecting this to be the last season of Easy. No, they they already said it is the last. Oh, they did. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's just larger. Joe just probably doesn't want to continue it. He like yeah. he works pretty quick, does a lot of stuff, so he probably is ready to move on. I think then that wrapping it the way that they did with Franco and his brother. Um, yep. I'm trying. I'm trying to find his name here as, as we're talking, but I, I thought that was a really nice ending and kind of selling uh, out. <laughs> in in a sense, certainly, yeah. That that was a really annoying like mm-hmm. through line of you know Dave Franco's character not wanting to just want to experiment, making- man. Yeah, I don't want to be making beer for the man. Just let me brew. This is my expression. Like I was just like, it's my art, also, bro. <laughs> also, um, shout out to old HBO like forgotten stars that that make a uh, cameo this season. John Gallagher, yes, uh, showed up. Mm-hmm. Melanie Linsky, who was on Togetherness, showed up um, mm-hmm. in the episode with uh, Mark Marin. Just all all these like people are popping. Was like, hey, I, that that guy or that 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 girl like it was it was nice to see these people that have uh moved on to different projects not doing what we originally know them for yeah easy season three uh i think this will be the type of thing that people will will find when they're feeling like they're running out of netflix shows which might never happen because netflix is constantly putting out stuff um but those who do find it i think will really appreciate what it is so check it out if you haven't i feel like the show just deserves more viewers than it's gonna get do you feel that way about men in black as well kind of actually <laughs> you know we're recording this a little early it's projected only to do about 30 million opening weekend that'd be the first of this, the series to be under 50 definitely not with uh, uh paramount i forget not what they wanted when they greenlit the, this this sequel uh spoilers i actually kind of liked it more than i expected given the critical panning we'll get into that but what, what did you think do, do you think this deserves more viewers uh, <laughs> so is, is that a 26% Rotten Tomatoes or 20, 24% which I, I think is a little bit low I think that this is a fun movie unnecessary <laughs> you know I don't know if anyone's clamoring for another Men in Black movie but w- when we heard that Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth are going to be teaming up I mean who doesn't want to see more of them together and 
I I honestly think they people I don't want to be around. That's who. <laughs> I I honestly think that they were great. Um, and I I think my biggest critique of the movie was I don't think it was as funny as I thought it was going to be. And I also felt like it was telegraphed. Um, it, if you've seen Lisa, Liam Neeson in a movie in the last three years, he always starts off as a good guy and he always becomes the bad guy. So just expect it at this point. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, the thing about Liam Neeson too is like the trope of sorts of one guy who's supposed to be on your side doubts you and, and goes after you and they clearly set it up so he's the actual bad guy but no it's the guy who was really your ally all along he's the villain like we've seen that that framework that skeleton before right but also someone like Liam Neeson isn't going to sign on for the check to this movie this franchise movie if he doesn't get something fun and cool to do mm-hmm. right unless he's only going to be in the movie for like two seconds like Emma Thompson right right so it, it was just very obvious where that was going to go and that's obviously disappointing just because, yeah, it just feels a little amateur. But, yeah, and by the way, this was Sony, and any money they might lose on this, they'll make back with Spider-Man Far From Home soon, so we'll be okay. But, yeah, it's funny. This movie cost literally half as much as Men in Black 3, only $110 million, uh production budget, which says a lot about how fucking dumb expensive Men in Black 3 was. But I think they said it needs to make $300 million to break even, so we'll see how these in, the international grosses this week. That'll obviously give us a great idea as if that's r- realistic or not. But I was, you know, reflecting on the movie. And if we're being honest, Men in Black 1 is the only Men in Black movie that matters. Yeah. That's any good. And when you already have a bunch of bad sequels, I really don't like it when people go after the, the new bad sequel and say it's ruining anything. That's <laughs> just not true. Like, people did that with Jurassic Park. Yeah which again has one good movie in its series and like one movie that's kind of fun in Jurassic World mm-hmm. 1 like so it's like it bad bad sequels don't matter when there's already been bad sequels right unless it's something really high in prestige like Star Wars right so Men in Black International is I feel like up to par with the rest of the Men in Black sequels and I think people just have some rose-colored glasses about Men in Black 2 in particular and it's just disappointing cuz you know Men in Black International I thought starts really well I really like the, the Tessa uh, origin story of sorts, kind of the way she's playing this like spunky character and how she gets into the Men in Black and all that. I really like that. But as soon as the bad guys show up behind that dude in Marrakesh, all right. It's like it just, just kind of grinds the movie down. It's like these lifeless, personalityless villains that are just there to be defeated. Yep. The hive. No other presence. No contribution you know but dave just disappointing they can break dance <laughs> like i felt like that was kind of like something they really wanted to like pimp out for some reason mm-hmm. i was i found that incredibly strange yeah and i actually feel like the lower budget really stood out because even if you think about like men in black one like you get to see like a really big alien like that that cockroach alien i forgot his name but like the one that you know that they're fighting at the end it that that's a lot of cgi especially for that time period but in this one like the hive you kind of see but they're kind of just this like i don't know blob that liam neeson turns into for like the last i don't know five minutes of his time on screen Mm -hmm. and the rest of it is just like in this portal it's the shadow and i felt like they really like for a movie that has so many aliens involved in it like you really see what vungus you see um that one that tessa thompson befriends as a child that that's grown up um and then like kind of the ones walking around the you know the uh headquarters but other than that you don't really see a ton of aliens until like i guess high t becomes the hive monster or whatever he is i don't know right. it, and kumail of course oh uh, true pa- what did you think of pawnee I thought a lot of his jokes were actually kind of funny. Kumail's great, but like he, they're running the jokes, they're running the jokes out like really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Not all of them will hit. You're just running, you're just going through them. I really liked the when he was like being the intermediary between Hemsworth mm-hmm. and Tessa. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, some some of the jokes are bad or corny, yeah. you know. And I think maybe his his appearance as this kind of like cutesy guy probably rubs some people the wrong way or just feels unnecessary. But I mean, to the budget, I feel like if some of the set pieces or action moments were just a little cooler, 
I think that would really benefit the movie. People would be more forgiving of the textbook mediocre villain, you know. But it's just kind of a story that just doesn't feel that large. As you said, not a lot of aliens. This is Men in Black International. And yes, we go around the world, but it always kind of feels small scale. And usually I like that, but everything else around the framing of this story wants you to think the opposite. Right. So it doesn't quite ma- mesh. But for what it is, I, I still enjoyed my time with it. And like I thought Hemsworth and Tess, as you said, they had great chemistry. I just really like them as performers. So even if they're, I'm watching them do mediocre material, I still don't mind it. Yeah, Hemsworth especially, I feel like, has established himself as more of a comedy actor recently. Yes, um, a true strength. I mean, it's it's crazy. You think about even like Ragnarok, where he's the star, but that movie is very funny. And I think where it thrives the most is him just being this like goofy Thor instead of like the more serious one from the first two Thor movies. Um, yep. And then obviously in Endgame, when he's fat Thor the whole time, I, I think he provides a lot of comedy. <laughs> so um he's he's on a bit of like a comedic heater and tessa thompson i mean her and janelle monet dude whatever they want to do they just kill it every time like what a couple god damn (laughs) i have no i have no more to say that's those are all my thoughts about that (laughs) you know it just big picture it is disappointing that this movie is underperforming because this makes uh four sequels basically in a row this summer that underperformed godzilla 2 cedar life of pets 2 dark phoenix and i black international those are all big budget sequels not made by disney yes dark phoenix is now under disney but they produce it of course and now what happens we get spider-man lion king and toy story 4 next week there's no non-disney blockbuster until hobbs and shaw beginning of august it's like all the other studios kind of fired their bullets or punted on the window and now it's disney's time just to take more of the money take more of the market share kind of disappointing not what you want to see um but at the end of the day you got to make smarter choices make the movie better or make franchise adaptations that people actually want to see as you said unnecessary i don't know how many people were excited to see more men in black with or without will smith oh you know 10 years ago tired line but 10 years ago this movie is just a big budget sci-fi alien movie with tessa and hemsworth that's its own thing but you can't make that now unless you attach it to something else because you're not gonna get a hundred million dollars otherwise and that's what they had to do just a shame that they didn't uh make them a little better yeah you mentioned emma thompson playing agent o and i feel like in a lot of ways she just got off set of men in black and changed clothes (laughs) and went over to late night and uh, worked with uh, Nisha Ganatra and Mindy Kaling, who wrote and produced this, to make this delightful little movie about uh, this late-night talk show host. What what was her name? Catherine Newberry. And she's kind of, uh, I don't know, a bit unmotivated, a bit lethargic in her career at this point, kind of just going through the motions. And her show's about to be canceled, and in comes Mindy Kaling as a female hire as a token hire in a lot of senses to mm-hmm. kind of shake things up sitting at an 81 percent in rotten tomatoes i think i think there's a lot of good in this movie and some some things that weren't didn't necessarily land or weren't as fleshed out as maybe i think they could have been but overall i really enjoyed late night how are you feeling what's your temperature like on late night after seeing it yesterday yeah yeah i uh quite enjoyed it a lot um it makes sense that it was the buzziest film out of Sundance and thus was the most expensive acquisition. Amazon shelled out $13 million to get late night. And Mindy Kaling only made this, got this movie made for a $4 million budget. So it's uh, really impressive in that regard. But yeah, I, I've, I've really found it enjoyable just because I think some people maybe have the, the frame of reference that this movie is this super woke comedy that is this gonna shove its politics in your face blah 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 hollywood hollywood right but even if you're dumb and reductive and feel that way if you watch this movie you wouldn't actually take have that takeaway if you have a brain because this movie is much smarter and tactful about its commentary on 
the Hollywood, the inner workings of Hollywood and the differences men and women face mm -hmm. in that workplace, you know? And I just really appreciated how that story was told. And I think Mindy Kaling's experience, direct experience in that world, obviously plays a big part because she actually kind of knew how to make this movie. But it really kind of shies away from easy opportunities to be super tropey and thus be safer in your story. So I uh, really like it a lot. And I hope this movie gets seen by a lot of people. I know it's projected to do a bit of a modest opening weekend. I mean, it had a really high per theater average last week in limited release. So staggering it was smart on Amazon's part. Obviously, we saw how Annapurna failed book smart by throwing it wide right away against Aladdin thing late night. Even if coming out right now is probably not the best time for it, hopefully it can serve as a bit of counter-programming. Um, we'll see. Yeah, the things you touched on, I think were really well done i think the the stories about the struggles that females have in these sort of work environments even just the uh, difficulty getting opportunities for females in these sort of environments i thought was done really well i thought that uh mindy kaling and and emma thompson had good uh good uh, why can't i think of the word chemistry thank you um uh, had good chemistry on a screen together and i thought they they played off each other pretty well um i also thought emma thompson gave a really strong performance um you know it's it's difficult because i i think a lot of times the the kind of women uh that we see in these movies are showing their soft side and, and you know are the ones who are uh, I don't know, a bit more emotional but her character is very unemotional and just very driven and very success oriented and i think that um, that can come across sometimes to people as like, oh, this is you know not what we want to see or or you know not not how women really are. But I thought she actually played it, the character very well, and especially the behind the the scenes looks with her husband or uh, when Mindy Kaling goes over to yep. her house and they're you know kind of talking about her career and what she like stands for. I thought really expanded the character in a really beautiful way. Lithgow, I thought, was actually really, really good as like a, a big character who got to come in and just kind of flesh out Catherine Newberry a little bit more. Where I felt yep. like they could have done a bit more um, is, I think, looking at the role mental health play because they kind of just kept dropping in like, oh, Catherine's clinically depressed and, you know, the, she's dealt with depression in the past. Mm -hmm. Mindy Kaling kind of talked about how that's something she also deals with but i feel like that was never really uh fleshed out or expanded upon to the point where it made a ton of sense other than just kind of saying like oh the, these things are hard and being this kind of profession is hard but i felt like they were trying to say more with that that didn't necessarily land but i give them a lot of credit for really touching on this these sort of issues that i think are starting to become more well known in our uh more public culture but still females and people of color have to face yeah i mean there's a bunch of other threads mainly getting hit on mm -hmm. at work a little bit having a relationship with one of her co-workers there's a bunch of threads that by the nature of it being a movie under two hours it, it can't flesh them out as much as maybe they, they deserved you know i saw a, a, more than one review mention that this actually had great series potential because you could have flushed out more of those you know th those threads i actually don't think i actually agree with that though just because i feel like the best way for the story to be told and absorbed and ultimately you know consumed mm -hmm. by people was it to be in a movie form so i just feel like it would have an even harder time standing out if it was a show even if it was a lot of mm -hmm. show just as the way tv works right now um you know it's interesting that amazon shelled out so much money for this because i mean if we i think we've briefly mentioned this at the time but amazon largely has struggled at the box office in terms of getting much return for the movies a lot of times they're spending a lot at festivals to acquire films that are good movies but they're usually not making much money i mean big sick and manchester by the sea which both got oscar attention and wards uh both won those both made uh over 40 million dollars here in the states but no other movie amazon has acquired has made 15 you know and that includes lots beautiful of movies boy, we've yeah. talked about that we like like mm -hmm. beautiful boy lost city of z don't worry we won't get far on foot you were never really here cold war a lot of movies we liked we talked about uh, got a lot of attention online but they just had a hard time i think pushing movies through and i think maybe they're gonna get better at that i feel like late night has good awareness 
from what I can tell, but me and you are more in the know than the average person, so I, I, I can't really say. We'll see how it does this weekend, as I said. Um, but yeah, I'm just I, I, uh, I think I have I have this in my top ten right now, and it's just I think Mindy Mindy's Mindy's per, uh, kind of shadow over the production and story of the film is what really, I think really stands out and really last is that this was a, a movie she was able to get across that informs a lot of her her worldview and it, and as we said that's that's hard 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 to do yeah as women as women of color despite the jokes they make about diversity hires and how it's easier for her because of the way she looks like all they reference all that in I think smart ways but at the end of the day this movie got made and I hope it gets seen by a lot of people because I think, as we said, it has a lot of uh, a lot to chew on. And even if not everything is fully um, explored the way maybe you want it to, I think that actually says a lot about how good the movie is. That it it make ask you to want more from this this truly fictional world where there's a female network late night host. Yeah, it was a really complex movie in terms of it. It didn't just explain things with with one simple explanation it really pulled in a lot of different topics i mean even even kind of like the the third act um plot driver being these leaked emails about uh you know her having this uh, affair or this one one time uh affair with a writer on her show who was male and kind of the power dynamics there um just very complex issues and also talking about why she made that decision in terms of her husband's illness i thought that was just really well done um shout out to reed scott who yeah man uh you know dan dan from uh veep uh, he basically got to play that same character for about half the movie and then they let him kind of be a more gentle like more realistic guy and i thought that was really nice because i I was worried he was about to be uh, basically typecast into the same like douchebag type of role. Um, right. So it's nice to see him get a little bit more to do. Um, also, Ike Barinholtz. Um, I felt like I felt like this role was a little bit beneath him, almost in a sense. You know, we've seen him do some really good like blockers and whatnot, but um, he's actually a pretty thoughtful guy. So I'd like to see him get some more thoughtful roles moving forward. You know, his actually presence is kind of interesting. I mean. This movie set in a modern time, you know, they reference Seth Meyers living in it, they reference Kobe or stuff like that. It's just taking place right now. She's on CBS or something, right? Um, and then we, ha- we have Ike Barinholtz as this rising st- comic, stand-up comic, but he's kind of like retrograde Dane Cook or something. Yeah. Like, who is he supposed to be? Is he, he's supposed Dane to Cook, be like... For sure. Yeah, and, but it's like right now... The only way you can actually be a comic like that is if you're super, super funny and smart with your humor, like Anthony Jeselnik. Mm-hmm. But that's not who uh, Tenet, like Barinholtz's character, was. He was just super retrograde and anti-PC. And I feel like even if the comedians that push back on the boundaries, like like a Bill Burr or something, like they're not that simple and mm-hmm. you know lazy with their jokes. I don't know. It. I get. I mean, that was the point that it was overdone. And that he was clearly not as talented as her and coming in. Like, I get it. But I feel like that, that was the one point where I was like, this is just kind of a kind of an unrealistic um, uh, choice, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's I fine. agree. Also, shout out, um, what's his name? John. Uh, John Lithgow? Uh, no, I'm sorry. P- Paul Walter Hauser from I, Tanya. He plays mm, that. Yeah. He's one of the writers. Just, uh, just a funny dude. Yeah. And he just got cast in something. So we'll see more of him. It's not. It's just nice to see him doing stuff. Um, anyways, we'll probably wrap up there. Go see Late Night, um, Men in Black International. Yeah, go see it if you have time. But uh, mostly, listen to Goldlink and Jai Paul. Get familiar. Uh, Octavian as well. Dave, what should we uh, be listening to, watching for next week? Yeah, Euphoria is premiering on Sunday. A lot of controversy with the 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 30 penises or whatever the the, the line was mm-hmm. um we'll talk about that show soon it HBO, makes 13 reasons show. why it looks like like a kid's show oh god yeah Jesus the Christ. horror yeah. uh shout out hbo the channel all the children watch by the way right. such a stupid take sesame street um, and then euphoria <laughs> obviously toy story 4 is the yeah. top of the list pixar 100 percent on rotten tomatoes reviews. 
wild. Uh, also, Legion, third and final season premiering uh, on Monday, uh, two Mondays from now, or a week from now. We'll talk about that. Uh, Wreck and Tours album, Mannequin Pussy album, uh, stuff to talk about. Last, Man Black, Last Black Man San Francisco from A24. I'll be seeing that soon. We're going to talk about that as soon as we can. So plenty of stuff to discuss, like always. Maybe we'll also talk Bruce Springsteen, who was left off our New Music Friday tweet. Blasphemy. I had no idea. Blasphemy. <laughs> uh, get, getting really good reviews. So if you have time, maybe fit that one in as well. Um, anyways, you guys got some homework for the week to catch up, but we'll talk about it all next Monday or Tuesday. Peace out. Peace <laughs> out.